0: Open up your Bible to the book of Daniel. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 4 today, so I'll give you a moment to find that. But we're going to be in Daniel 4 today, and uh, I have loved starting to go through this book of the Bible with you all, uh, to, to preach it, to hear it preached, even by my uh, fellow preachers here. Uh, but I trust that God will continue to speak to us through this text today. Let me get my pages set here. Um, All right. I wanted to to start by referencing a a quote from a book that I love, a book called Mere Christianity that some of you may have read before. It's by the author C.S. Lewis. And in it, he wrote a chapter that has been particularly impactful to me that I I remember at times and refer back to at times. It's one about pride. Uh, And the chapter in that book he calls The Great Sin. That's what he calls it. And there's a quote I wanted to read for you from it that'll set the tone for this text and what I think the Lord would uh, speak to us through this text today. But I wanted to read this for you. Uh, It goes like this. He says this. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. There's a character that we're going to see today in this scripture, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, who is probably exhibit A of a character in the Bible, a real person who needed to learn this lesson, uh, that, that he needed to learn the lesson of humility, to have his pride squashed and to not just to see God as great, but to see himself as small. And what we've seen, if you've been with us the last few weeks, uh, you have seen that this king who we're going to read about today, King Nebuchadnezzar, he has started to surprisingly be impressed with God, the God of the Israelites. Uh, He had been used by God to take over the capital of these people, the Israelites, to take over Jerusalem. But he's brought some of them back to his land of Babylon, to his city of Babylon, uh, to be his subjects. And what has happened is in the first couple chapters, we've heard these events spanning over years where God has started to impress King Nebuchadnezzar, much to his surprise. If you were with us when we went through chapter 2 a few weeks ago, you saw that God showed that he is able uh, to reveal mysteries. That, that he is able to reveal even dreams that were in King Nebuchadnezzar's head to one of God's people, to Daniel. And, and Nebuchadnezzar is blown away by this, that, that God could reveal. And we saw in chapter 3 that Nebuchadnezzar was surprised by this God's ability to rescue He had set up this statue, this gold statue, for all people to bow down to, including the Israelites who had been imported. But a few of them didn't. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow the knee. And Nebuchadnezzar, this king we're about to read about, threw them into a fiery furnace to kill them. To show his power, to show that people will bow down when I say to bow down. And the God of the Israelites rescued those three young men and brought them out unscathed, not even a smell of smoke on them. But the problem with Nebuchadnezzar that we're going to see God deal with today is that even though Nebuchadnezzar was starting to be impressed with God, he was still impressed with himself as well. It was undeniable to him the greatness of this God, but he also was holding on to this idea of his own greatness. If you were with us last week at the end of Daniel 3, we saw that he said even after God had rescued those young men from that fire, in his pride he said, if anybody speaks badly against the God of these young men, I will tear them limb from limb, as if like he's the muscle, he's the enforcer that this God is dependent on. He continued to call this God of the Israelites the God of other people, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego instead of his own God. And it's not surprising because you could imagine Nebuchadnezzar, he had been used by God to crush these people, to, to bring them captive to his own land. You could imagine him thinking, how powerful could their God really be? How great could he be if he's using me to crush them, me to judge them? But we're going to see in today's text that God is going to dramatically humble him. He's going to bring him to his knees quite literally. But I want us as we approach this story, I want you as we approach this story to not just hear this story as a story about Nebuchadnezzar, but to hear it as a story for you. A story for us it's not just some historical neat thing uh, wonderful amazing uh, work of God to humble this man but it is a story for us to hear that we need to be humbled as well because I would guess amongst us because I have been in this state before there are many of us who are just like him at the start of chapter four that we're impressed with God we've grown up around the church we've grown up hearing the Bible Maybe our mom or grandma or Sunday school teacher taught us about God. We are impressed with him. We've been around him long enough to know he is remarkable, that he is amazing, that he exists, that he is loving, that he is gracious. But we are still impressed with ourselves. We still think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And we praise God, I would say, we praise God with a yawn. Because we're so impressed with ourselves still. We acknowledge his greatness while we assert our own. And God would want to speak to us through this text today to say, stop doing that. Be humble. What I would want you to walk away with as we come to this text would be this message. That to be truly impressed with God, you must be thoroughly unimpressed with yourself. To be truly impressed with God, you must be thoroughly unimpressed with yourself. Let's see how this happens to Nebuchadnezzar, how God deals with him. So if you found Daniel 4, I'm going to start, obviously, at verse 1. We're going to read this in chunks. I'm going to read up through verse 18 to start, and then we'll pause, share some thoughts, and then we'll continue through this text to see how God uh, shows Nebuchadnezzar that to be truly impressed with him, he must be thoroughly unimpressed with himself. So follow along with me in your copy of the scripture We're going to see this as first person, King Nebuchadnezzar himself, recounting uh, what took place in his life. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. At last, Daniel came in before me. Remember, Daniel already proved his ability to interpret dreams. He who is named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. A watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will, and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. We'll pause right there. So this is a first-person account from King Nebuchadnezzar that he's writing to the people of his kingdom, to countless people spread out over the known world. And he's recounting for them. We'll see what unfolds, but he's recounting what has happened to him personally. He says uh, that in verse 2, he wants to show them or tell them the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. He he wants them to know God has dealt personally with him in some way. And I want you to note here, he is willing, this king, proud King Nebuchadnezzar is willing to share a story that we're about to read more of in a moment that is humiliating to himself. He's going to tell it to his entire nation of people a story that most would try to cover up, that they would try to keep secret. He's telling as publicly and widely as he can the story that is going to be an embarrassment to him, a humiliation to him, because by the end of this story, he's going to be brought so low from where he can properly see how high God is that he doesn't care that people know how he was brought low. He's not embarrassed for them to know what took place in him and in his life because he wants them to know that same God. He wants them to be impressed with that God, and so he's willing to share his story. And so he starts by recounting this dream that he had, right? Dreams feature prominently in the book of Daniel. He says that he was at ease, that he was prospering in his palace, and then a dream comes to him that he says makes him afraid and alarmed in verses 4 and 5. And the the dream is this. He, He says that he sees this great tree uh, this unspeakably tall tree that reaches to the heavens that everyone on the entire earth can see. It's that big. It's beautiful tree. He says it's a fruitful tree that animals feed on, that they find shade in. Sounds great thus far, but then the reason it alarms him and makes him afraid is he says that he sees a watcher. It's almost like an angelic-like being come down from heaven and say that this tree is to be chopped down. But in the dream, he also sees that, and this is going to be important, that a stump was to be left. A stump was to be left, and it was to be bound with metal, iron and bronze, for a period of seven periods of time, which we don't know exactly how long that was to be. But in that that part of the text, as you get into verse 15, 16, 17, it's kind of strange because instead of talking about a tree, It starts to talk about a person, right? It starts to use the words him and his. Like that his hair will be wet, that he's to be bound. That his mind is going to be changed to that of an animal. So this sounds like it's about much more than just a tree somewhere that's to be chopped down, that it's a person. And he recalls for the people who are reading it, Nebuchadnezzar does it, he attempts to get an interpretation of the dream. From his astrologers his wise men if you want to call them that that he brings in and they either can't provide the interpretation or i would suggest they won't provide the interpretation so he brings in daniel this proven interpreter of dreams but i would note for you this isn't a complicated dream right it's not like real mysterious about what it's going to say in the dream itself did you know that in verse 17 in the dream itself that, that watcher that, that, that comes down and says to cut down the tree, he says what the dream is about. He says that it is to the end. The reason this tree or this person is going to be cut down is to the end. So for the reason that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. So in the dream that he's told, this dream is about the people who rule the earth, And about God wanting to show that he rules over them. It's not hard to connect the dots of what this dream is about and who it is about. And so these men, though, they weren't willing to say that to King Nebuchadnezzar. But Daniel, we'll see, is not scared at all. He is willing to say what I think was probably plain to the others who heard the dream. He's willing to say that it is a nightmare that's about to play out in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. So let's read how he hears the dream and then interprets it for Nebuchadnezzar. Follow along with me. Start at verse 19. We'll go to verse 27. It says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you. And it's interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw which grew and became strong. So that its top reached to heaven. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. And in which was food for all. Under which beasts of the field found shade. And whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king. Who have grown and become strong. of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat, like, eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening to your prosperity." So Daniel is very brave here, very clear with King Nebuchadnezzar, and he sums it up. If you want to just get the short Cliff Notes version, look at the start of verse 22, the interpretation of this dream. He says, it is you, O king. This dream is about you. That tree that you saw is you. The one who's going to be cut down is you. And he tells him two things, I think, are coming that he can know because of this dream that judgment is coming for him but that mercy will follow. That judgment is coming but mercy will follow. He tells him in verse 25 that he's going to live like an animal till he knows that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. So we don't know exactly what that's to look like yet, but he's going to live like an animal for a time. I keep having the song Run Through My Head by Johnny Cash, the song God's Going to Cut You Down. I think that could be a summary of what Daniel is telling him here, that God is going to cut you down. God is going to show you, Nebuchadnezzar, that you are undeniably not in control of things and that God Most High is. So judgment, he says, is going to come for you, but mercy is going to follow. Because he he tells him and he points out to him that though that tree will be cut down, that the stump is to remain. And he says in verse 26, he says that your, he interprets that as your kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you. From the time that you know that heaven rules. So God is going to cut you down, he is going to bring you low, he is going to make you realize how small and unimpressive that you are so that you can be impressed with him and after he cuts you down, he's going to build you back up. Judgment is coming but mercy will follow and I think we start to see in this text some hints of why Nebuchadnezzar ought to be humble and why we as fellow human beings just like him ought to be humble. Uh, I'll quickly mention them, some reasons we ought to be unimpressed with ourselves, that we ought to be humble, they all start with S, is that we're small, that we are subject to God, and that we are sinful. That we are small, that we are subject, and we are sinful. Nebuchadnezzar should have realized, and we should realize, that we are small, that we are weak, that we are limited creatures, and I think God and what he's about to do in the life of Nebuchadnezzar wanted him to realize that there are things he could not spare himself from. And he would want us to know there are things we cannot spare ourselves from. Things that we are not powerful enough to fix. We are small. We are subject to God. That's another reason that all of us, Nebuchadnezzar, you, me, should be humble, is that we are subject to God. We like to think of ourselves, since the Garden of Eden, we like to think of ourselves as these these little kings and queens who get to do what we want, who can do whatever we want with no ramifications for her, that that we have no one to answer to other than ourselves. But, But God is telling Nebuchadnezzar, as clear as anything else in this text, that is not true. You are subject to the God Most High. And I would say to you today, you are subject to the God Most High. You are not in charge. I am not in charge. We are not authorities. God rules over us all, and we all answer to Him. Whether you acknowledge that or not, whether you like that or not, we all answer to Him. So we're small and we're subject, but on top of that, Adam and Eve should have been humble before they ate of the fruit, but on top of that, we are all sinful now on top of that. like We are not just small and subject, but we're sinful we're not righteous, we're, we're rebellious as human beings against the one we're subject to, the one that made us. I, I would note that at the end of what the part I just read in verse 27, lest we think Nebuchadnezzar is some just innocent guy, like he's, he's this kind of wonderful guy who's just God's going to make a display of, Daniel calls him to break off his sins, to break off his iniquities, like his oppression of people. He's saying, you are a sinner, you're a king, but you're a sinner. Now you're accountable to the God of heaven, stop rebelling against him. Be humble. God is going to cut you down. And time goes by. We're going to see that about a year goes by after this interpretation is given. But as time goes by, Nebuchadnezzar does not change. He continues in his pride. And God, if you want to follow the metaphor of the dream, he keeps sharpening the axe. And then he finally sends that watcher to cut down the tree. So let's read what happened, verse 28 to 33. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. What a scene. So King Nebuchadnezzar, this this ruler of the known world, this most powerful man in the world, he's at his palace looking down upon his kingdom, boasting in his accomplishments, his achievements, even in spite of the dream that was told to him. And a voice from heaven falls down, a voice from above falls down upon him. and says, remember that dream that you had, it's coming true and immediately this condition falls upon and we can speculate about what was going on. The main thing to know is that God brings it about, but many think it's a condition that's set on and often would set on suddenly to people, a condition called lycanthropy. It's this idea, this experience that a very, very small number of people have but where they believe that they're becoming like a wolf, like a werewolf almost, where they start to think that they have teeth like an animal where they start to act like an animal but he, he, we definitely can know that he's having some sort of uh, psychological breakdown, right? A, a, a spell of insanity of sorts. You would know. You can note even in reading the text. Instead of talking about I did this, I said this, I did that. Did you note that this was written? This section was written in third person. Like it happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. It's like he. It's like he hardly can even remember it. Like he wasn't himself in what followed because he starts acting like an animal and he's treated like an animal for a season of time that we don't know how long, where he eats grass, he sleeps outside. He's not thinking straight, he's not acting like a human, he's acting like an animal. What a contrast, right? From what he was to what he became. He, he went from having kingly robes to having matted hair that is nasty and dirty he went from laying on his his cush mattress or the equivalent there in his palace to sleeping outside on the grass next to animals he went from probably having jewelry and rings all over his hands to having claws instead God brings this upon him It's not just coincidence, God brings it upon him to show him, I am in charge of you. Stop being so impressed with yourself and be impressed with me. He wanted him to know that the fact that he was a king, the fact that he had blessings, the fact that he had this grandness that had been given to him, it was a sign that God had given it to him. Not that he had achieved it himself. These, these things that he had received were to be signs that God was impressive, not that he himself was impressive. And Nebuchadnezzar experiences what I would call a forced humility instead of a voluntary humility. Not all suffering is a, a forced humility upon us by God, but some of it is. There are some times in our lives, maybe some of you have lived through this, where you have grown prideful, where you've grown full of yourself, too impressed with yourself, not impressed enough with him, and God brings affliction upon you to bring you low. Paul said that God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him from becoming conceited. There are times that God does that in our life that you may be living through right now, That not in a judgmental way, a punishing way, but God is bringing something into your life to remind you how small you are, how dependent you are upon him. God still does this today, but in Nebuchadnezzar's life, and in your life, especially if you are a Christian, it was not God's heart, and it is not God's heart just to torture you, but to teach you. He wants to teach you. He he will cut us down, but it is for the sake of building us back up. And so I want you to see what came true that was the fulfillment of the end of that dream. Read the end of the chapter with me, 34 to 37. After this spell of time, let's, let's read the mercy that God shows. He says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. was added to me. That could sound like he's reverting to pride, but listen to what verse 37 says. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So we see here how Nebuchadnezzar responds to this condition, this affliction that comes to him. And we see that he is able, even in that state, to respond to God still. Even in his insanity or whatever condition you want to call it, he is still able to respond to God. And that should be an encouragement to us to know that there is no human being, no mental state, no condition beyond reach of God. Beyond his ability to heal them, to help them see the truth and respond to who he is. But having been brought low, now the only way Nebuchadnezzar can look is up. Right? It says that he lifts his eyes to heaven. He lifts his eyes to heaven and when he lifts his eyes to heaven, he may have feared that, that he would see a God who is angry, who is just delighting in his suffering just seeking to torture him but he sees and finally realizes that God is a God of mercy and a God of grace having experienced a forced humility now we see in Nebuchadnezzar's life a voluntary humility that he is humbling himself that he is choosing to look up to the God who made him the God who has spared him the God who has brought him low and God in his kindness restores Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. He gives him back his kingdom. He, and as a result of this blessing of God, this raising him back up, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't just revert back to pride and a gloating, but he uses verbs. Did you see those? He says things like he blessed God, praised God, extolled God, honored God, and he's doing it here publicly for everybody to know it. He wants them to know that this God, the God of the Israelites, is the king of heaven. He's the king of kings. And it was only though when when Nebuchadnezzar had become unimpressed with himself that he could be adequately impressed with God. Kindness of God in his life, but this is something that we all need to hear ourselves. Did you see how this text ends? He says that those who walk in pride he is able to humble. I want you today if you have never realized it before I want you to realize the seriousness of pride in the sight of God. There are texts of our scripture like James chapter 4 verse 6 that says God opposes the proud. Do you hear that? It doesn't just say God opposes pride says, God opposes the proud. So I think it would uh, behoove us to think, am I proud? Am I walking in pride? I think sometimes we have a hard time seeing pride in ourselves. C.S. Lewis said it's kind of like bad breath that everybody else see or smells it, I guess, but you don't realize it's there? Pride is like that. Sometimes we don't even see it in ourselves. But I wanted to give you a quick list of some indicators that maybe you are walking in pride. Think of how you relate to fellow human beings. Do you typically think of yourself as better than the people around you? Are you quick and easily able to see the flaws of others while barely even noticing your own? Do you find it difficult, like I do at times, to receive correction or to be challenged by people? Do you find yourself rarely seeking out the counsel of other people? or the input or ideas of other people because you 100% trust your own and assume that you are correct? Or think of how you relate to God. Some signs that you may be prideful in how you relate to him. Do you think of yourself as righteous in the sight of God? I'm talking apart from Jesus. Do you see yourself as impressive to God? That God looks at you and says, well done. Do you find very little reason to repent of sin in your life? Is that a rare occurrence in your life, repentance? Do you find yourself rarely thanking God for the gifts in your life because you see them as a fruit of your own hard work instead of a gift from His hand? Do you find yourself rarely praying because you see yourself as the key to fixing problems and providing solutions. These are all signs that that we may be walking in pride and I want you to hear what Nebuchadnezzar says that those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. God could forcibly humble you. I don't want him to do that, I don't long for him to do that but he could. And he is certainly able to, as we saw in today's text. But more than wanting to, to forcibly humble us, he wants to produce in us a voluntary humility. He wants us to see, come to a place where we are voluntarily humbling ourselves. And I want to point you in closing to the one place where you ought to be able, if no other place, that you ought to be able to look to foster humility in your heart. And that's the cross of Jesus. There's probably a bunch of things in your life, if I knew you well, that I could point to that should humble you and that you could point to in my life that should humble me. But one we can all look to is the cross of Jesus. Where a greater king than Nebuchadnezzar was cut down. Because at the cross, you should see, if you're seeing it right, you should see how unimpressive you are. You, you should not be able to look at the cross and think, man, I am something. Because the cross shows you, because your sins were laid upon Jesus and he was punished in your place, the cross shows you clear as day how vile and serious your sin is. Your sins aren't just missed by God or overlooked by God. They're not viewed by God as just something that warrants a slap on the wrist and a carry on. It warrants death. It warrants his wrath. It warrants his judgment. And Look at the cross and see how Jesus had to suffer for those things and still be proud. How can we do that? And a look at the cross shows you that you cannot save yourself. You're not big enough to do that. You're not great enough to do that. You're not smart enough or good enough or righteous enough to do that. Only Jesus can save you. You all, I included, need someone else to save you. Someone else to die for you. Someone else to take your punishment for you. Look at the cross and see how unimpressive you truly are and how unimpressive I truly am. But look at the cross also. Let it bring you low. But let it also show you how impressive Jesus is. Jesus at the cross is shown to be righteous. He actually was able to be a sacrifice for us because he was righteous and what is more impressive than a king like Nebuchadnezzar who could kill his enemies is a king who would die for his, a king who would look at enemies like us and say instead of crushing you I'm going to be crushed for you, that is greatness A powerful king like Nebuchadnezzar may have been able to conquer his enemies, but a divine king would be crucified for his enemies. May we look at the cross and know that Jesus sees us as the small, sinful subjects that we are. But he loves us nonetheless his love for you is not a sign that you are great. It's a sign that he is great. So may we look to the cross to see how unimpressive we are. And may his love, his sacrifice for us upon the cross, help us to see how great he is. I would encourage you today to do what Nebuchadnezzar did, to lift your eyes to heaven. Because it's there that you have a Savior. Repent of your pride. And remember, that, that statement just doesn't go that God opposes the proud, but it ends by saying He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Six times in this chapter today, you may have noticed this, God is referred to as God Most High. Nebuchadnezzar was persuaded of that as he was brought low, and as God brings us low. May we be able to worship the God Most High. Amen. I'm going to pray.